0: we mm-hmm. This is Chris. Welcome to episode 74 of X-Lapsed. And it feels like it's been a while since I've done one of these. Uh, We're currently after Thanksgiving, and I am one aching unit. Um, It's been a very, very busy and hectic week. Uh, To start, I I decided to, I'd say, run a 5K, but I ran some of it, and I jogged a lot of it as well. But I did that on Thanksgiving morning uh, as a way to like counterbalance the uh, massive amounts of uh, carbohydrates I was going to be taking in throughout the rest of the weekend. And uh my feet were hurt my feet were hurting before I did the 5k. You know, I've I don't know what it is, my feet are just sore most of the time. And uh boy, doing a 5k did not help and then uh being on my feet for the you know, subsequent 15, 16 hours taking care of All the cooking and the entertaining Really did a number on me here. I was walking on my tippy toes The past couple days and uh, Which really doesn't help my calves any My calves are now killing me And uh, Then, uh, to add insult to injury I had a I had a one-on-one bout With uh, my front door My front door uh, I got split open <laughs> Walking into my front door, uh, I don't know why I'm sharing this information. I guess just to uh, give you the full uh, crisp experience, I guess. Um, we've got these little uh, dia, these like uh, you know dias. They're they're Christmas lights, the Christmas decorations. And uh, our front yard here has like desert landscaping, but we have a little riverbed element to it, so it's a uh, really facilitates nice little Christmas scenes with the with the decorations and the lights and stuff. So we have these dia. And we make them look like they're by the little stream, you know One of them fell over It falls over every damn year Because it's a bigger one And uh, the ground out here in Arizona is very, very hard So it's hard to get a stake into the ground So I actually went out and bought new stakes Like better stakes Better, Better stakes than what come with the actual, you know, the little gimmicks So it fell over I go to go outside, have my little mallet I open the door, and I realize, oop, I forgot my stakes. I turn around, and bang, right in the corner of the door. I get I get right in the middle of my forehead, splits me open. I, I, You could offer me any amount of money to replicate that, and I wouldn't be able to do it. It's so ridiculous, and it's kind of embarrassing. But uh, So yeah, I spent a few hours, kind of dazed, kind of dizzy, very uncomfortable, and uh, wearing a Band-Aid on my head... Which made me, uh, in the words of my wife, look like a four-year-old who fell off the jungle gym So that's been my holiday weekend Uh, How was yours? Leave leave me comments below But anyway, let's get into the reason why we are here today We are here to bring the Dawn of X books into the double digits And we're going to do that with Marauders number 10 Now this is the first book to come back after the... The COVID lapse, you know, the, uh, the span of time here the two, About a two-month span of time where the comics industry was just kind of on pause So Marauders is what kicks off the Dawn of X post-COVID launch here So, Marauders number 10 had a June 2020 cover date Though it sh- probably should have had a July cover date Stories called Leave None to Tell the Tale Written by Jerry Duggan with art by Stefano Caselli Colors, Edgar Delgado, Letters: VCs, Corey Petit, Designs, Tom Muller, Head of X's, Hickman. Edits, Robinson White, Cebulski. Cover price, $3.99, and this one went on sale May 27th of 2020. And we open at Port Genosha on Krakoa. Port Genosha on Krakoa. All right, I'm going to come clean here. Even after doing this show for several months at this point uh, And having to actually type the word Krakoa Hundreds if not thousands of times at this point I swear like one out of every five or six times I still accidentally type Genosha (laughs) So I I just hope that I haven't actually said Genosha Instead of Krakoa a bunch of times on the air But I wouldn't bet a solitary dime that I haven't Um, So all this to say Having a Port on Krakoa is probably not going to help me with my confusion. But as ever, we will endeavor to do our best. Anyway, here sits the first distillery of Krakoa. Now, Forge is working here with our old friend from the Mutant Liberation Front, Tempo. Now, you see, she has a power of chronokinesis, and with that, she can instantly make whiskey age, or anything age, but in this case, whiskey. Unfortunately for her, she really isn't a fan of whiskey. Sebastian Shaw, however, can suck him down like nobody's business, which is exactly what he's doing right now. And so we get a page of them talking about whiskey, none of which Tempo cares in the slightest about. The conversation is interrupted by the arrival of Storm, who's here to talk to Forge. She pulls him off to the side to discuss how the Russians are using his power-dampening weapons. We all know that they they have the pistols, they got the armor, all this incredible stuff here. To which Forge... He ain't buying it. He's very incredulous, because he destroyed all of his old files. Storm's like, hey, come on, think a little bit harder. Is there any way this could be your stuff? And unfortunately for him, he recalls that he had uh, this one assistant named Daniels who had a photographic memory. So, uh uh-oh. From here, roll call. Forge, Tempo, Sebastian Shaw, Storm, The Stepford Cuckoos, Mr. Sinister, Nightcrawler, Professor X, Magneto, Emma Frost, Iceman, Pyro, Bishop, Callisto, Christian Frost, Mask, and Egg. That's a lot of players here, but uh, we're going to knock out most of them before we even get to the credits page. So I don't know why there were so many damn names in this roll call. Some of them are going to appear like in one panel. And so let's... let's, uh, Let's do this right here. Before we get to our double-page spread of creds, we have a meeting of the Quiet Council, where everyone is thankfully sitting in their proper seats. Uh, Sophie Cuckoo is here to tell the Council that Emma will not be attending today because she's dealing with Ominous Verandy, the Armourers, and a co-op between Madripoor, Russia, and Brazil. She also reveals that a certain scientist, with photographic memory, went missing two days after Xavier's address to the world back during Hoxpox. Now Shaw kind of shrugs it off and suggests, hey, why don't we just send X-Force in there to deal with them? Because X-Force will kill people, left and right. They do it all the time. Sophie repeats herself and says the Marauders are dealing with this, so Emma's off the table right now. The Marauders are going to war. Magneto then communicates with the Cuckoo telepathically to tell her to pass something on to the White Queen, and that message is that they leave no survivors. Eh, so much for that pesky "kill no man" thing, eh? Hmm. Okay, now credits. Then an info page. It's an email from Call Me Kate to Nightcrawler, and I would assume this was probably written before Marauders Number Six. Uh, She talks about old times, including how she was scared by Storm's mohawk back in the long ago. You know me. I'm a sucker for callbacks. I love any callback to, you know, simpler times and just things that I'm nostalgic for. But do we really need to keep calling back to this same bit where she was scared of Storm's mohawk? I swear they've mentioned it a dozen times in, in ten issues. Can we get past that? Maybe think of something else. Anywho. In this email, she questions why Krakoa has not accepted her, and she also really wants to reconnect with her fuzzy elf. That's not a euphemism, and uh, even invites him to set sail with her on the Marauder. We jump back to comics and the armorers are on that boat, and they spot an iceberg. Only they're in the South Pacific where there really shouldn't be any such animal. Of course, we know it's Iceman. So Bobby he hoists the ship out of the drink. Then Emma swoops overhead with the Mercury, which is now a flying saucer. Uh, Bishop and Forge board the bad guy's ship, and Bishop has changed his look here. He has his uh, shorter hair now, which makes me wonder if this will remain consistent throughout the rest of the Dawn of X books. I doubt it, but hopefully, I feel like the the Dawn of X teams don't know that each other exists sometimes. So we'll see. We'll see. Now they happen across Daniels, the photographic memory dude. He apologizes and tells Forge that he was forced to work with these uh, these geeks here. Elsewhere on the boat, Emma and Pyro were also there. Emma unbuttons her top, which reveals, well, nothing, really. Um, it would seem that Ms. Frost has uh, very wide-set nipples, or is using copious amounts of double-sided tape. So we see cleavage, not much more. I mean, it's not any more revealing than what Emma usually wears, which is to say, not a whole heck of a lot. Now she saunters into a hallway full of goons Whose sudden southward rushing of blood Makes them easy prey for telepathic suggestion And so Emma has them shoot each other in the knees The captain of the ship rushes over to the self-destruct button Which, of course, all boats have, right? I'm kidding, of course Ominous Verandy would definitely instruct their underlings To not allow themselves to be captured at any cost I'm just kidding, you know Unfortunately for him, Callisto is here to stop him from pushing that button Emma then enters the scene and reveals that they're going to beam up the bad guys to the Mercury, where their memories will be erased, and they will return with only warm feelings towards mutants and the oppressed. I guess if you can't reason with people, you just mess with their mind. Now, once everybody's on board the Mercury, the saucer blasts the Verendi boat to smithereens. Inside the flying saucer, uh, Bishop asks Christian Frost how the Mercury does what it does. Like, how how is it a UFO right now, you know? It was a submarine, it was a boat... Who knows what it's going to be? Uh, And he also wants to know how Christian can pilot the thing using a piano. Christian ain't telling, and so I guess this mystery will live on. Back on Krakoa, Forge chats up Daniels. Daniels says that he put a lot of hints into his recent work for Verendi in hopes that Forge would pick up on them. Forge reveals that he did not. We then learn that poor Daniels will never be able to return home again. Instead, he's going to uh, take up golf in sunny Rio Verde, Arizona. We go to an info page, and it's Kurt's email reply to Call Me Kate, which I hope he wrote before Marauders Number 6. He talks a bit about Kitty's Krokoan handicap and agrees that they really need to set aside some time to reconnect. He'd really like to take that voyage on the Marauder. We wrap up the issue at the Hatchery, where yet another attempt at bringing Kitty back has resulted in failure. Egg suggests that Kitty... May just not be revivable And Xavier kind of agrees We wrap up with the somber note That the next issue of Marauders Will contain an actual funeral For a mutant Next episode, welcome to the double digits Excalibur number 10 It's worth noting here that this issue Has one of them reading order pages At the end of it, right? And it is pre-pandemic And includes Children of the Atom Number 1 releasing on April 15th and it's a red book, no less. So it's a can't-miss book. Children of the Atom never came out. It is still forthcoming. Uh, we're just going to have to wait until after X of Tens to see it. Though it's interesting to see the uh, the pre-pandemic reading order here, uh, including release dates that have already passed, You know, because this, this book came out a couple months late. I don't know why they didn't update it. I don't know why they didn't just omit it. But here it is. I mean, we had a month's worth of books where we didn't get a reading order, which really freaked me out. And here we are getting one that doesn't matter and doesn't really amount to anything. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they, they must have just printed these up and just not distributed them, is is my best guess. But let's talk about what we learned here. Stop me if you heard this one before. This was a good issue of Marauders. It wasn't a great one, but it was good. Though I swear it flew by much quicker than usual. Um, by the time we got to the ending in The Hatchery... I was sure there should have been a few more pages left. Not that it ended abruptly or anything, the pacing was fine. It just, it was just a pretty damn breezy read, right? So, what do we have to talk about? Um, I suppose we could start at the end, which unfortunately doesn't have quite the oomph that it might have had I read this last spring. Kitty can't be revived, and so, for the first time since Hawksbox, we're going to have a funeral for a mutant. Of course, we already know that they will find a way to bring her back with very, very curly hair. But she will be back. So yeah, certainly by no fault of the book. But I was left a little bit oomphless by this reveal. Um, How about Emma mind-wiping everybody and making them stop hating? Does that seem, I don't know, a little too easy? I mean, it's kind of the perfect play, right? It kind of begs the question, at least for me... Why hasn't Emma just pulled this move on everybody who hates mutants? We've got groups like The Right, The Friends of Humanity, all these loser groups, right? Why not just make them come together, sing Kumbaya, and start loving mutants and the oppressed? It seems very, very, I don't know, like throwaway. It's like, I mean, if if you ever play like a role-playing game, like a, a video game RPG, and you get to the point where you have the best spell in the game, best magic spell, why would you even bother using anything else, right? This move from Emma here where she could just make people stop hating, th- that's that's the magic bullet, right? Just do it. I don't care for this method. And, and, I mean, arguably, it's even a little bit villainous. I mean, if we strip away all the good that this can do by making hate go away, still, at the end of the day, it's, it's an invasion and, and perhaps a step over the line. I don't know if that's what Magneto meant by leave no witnesses, or whatever he was—he whatever it was that he said. I think he was thinking, just just kill all these fools, but I don't know. Maybe Emma was just being a, uh, trying to adhere to the Krakoan Constitution. I don't know. As I was reading this, I had this uh, odd little dissonance where I was sort of trying to put myself into the shoes of a day one comics reader, which I haven't been in a while now. Because this issue of Marauders was the only Dawn of X book to come out for two months. Even the issue after this, Excalibur number 10, readers of the day would have to wait two whole weeks after this to get that. So for a lot of people, this was it. They haven't read an X comic or new X comic since the end of March. Here we are at the end of May, and you ain't getting another one until the middle of June. So this was it. Now, this isn't the fault of anybody, and it's absolutely a victim of circumstance, but maybe there was a better issue that could have been put out, which may have been a little bit more satisfying for the starving X-Fan. I mean, again, not the fault of this book. And, I mean, there were several members of the reviewing Hive Mind that scored this a perfect 10 out of 10, so maybe I'm talking out my ass right now. I don't know. And, uh... Yeah, 10 out of 10. Um I know I rail on about this probably to stupid amounts here, but that's kind of saying that this issue could not have been any better than it was. I I feel like I feel like there there needs to be like a chrome extension or a a browser extension where if you run a review site and you use 10 out of 10 more than once in a month you get red flagged, and it's like, maybe you try somewhere a little bit better. Because this person is just giving, giving perfect scores so they can get uh, the pros to share their work. It's pathetic. But, this was good. This was a good issue. Wasn't a great issue. Much of it felt like filler. Actually, outside of the ending, it felt a lot like filler. But, at least it was mostly well-written filler. So... Good, not great, Uh, probably not the satisfying issue you'd be looking forward to for two months But, uh, you know, reading it the way I'm reading it, you know, it was just another issue I, I don't have that starvation that someone might have had back in the end of May Where I guess you could go one of two ways You could just absolutely love it because you're just so starving for anything Or you could feel let down because it didn't really scratch the itch, right? Victim of circumstance, absolutely Good, not great I am looking forward to the next issue With the uh, with the funeral that, uh, That's bound to be interesting So I guess we had to get there So, fair enough <laughs> That's pretty much all I got to say About Marauders number 10 Now, let's hop into the mailbag here We're going to start with Damien Who's talking about Excalibur number 9 He says, it's interesting that you describe this issue As not being a red issue Of course, the red issue is referring to the the reading order page where the red books are the can't-miss ones. But Damien continues, In light of reading X of Tens, I can tell you that this actually is a red issue. In fact, it explains loads of stuff that I didn't understand when reading the first few weeks of X of Tens. I get more and more worried that you are going to hate X of Tens when you get there. Personally, I'm loving that crossover, so I'm finding myself loving Otherworld stories for the first time. Even Alan Moore couldn't cause me to care about Otherworld until now. I'm not sure if I'm just suffering from the comics variant of Stockholm Syndrome. And I tell you, I haven't always hated Otherworld. I thought Alan Davis did some good work with it, but his was mostly played for, you know, wow, this is a very weird place. You know, It was was more about the surreality of it than actual you know, regalness and uh, royalty and Knights of the Round Table sort of stuff. But uh, as far as X of Tens is concerned, I'm actually a little nervous about that because this whole project was started to, you know, catch me up. So I'd be able to understand X of Tens. And here we are. We're rapidly approaching it. Before we know it, we're going to be knee-deep in it. And I'm no longer worried about not understanding it. Now I'm worried that I'm just going to despise it. (laughs) So I think this is going to be interesting um, Hopefully hopefully, I, I get that same Stockholm Syndrome Or I just grow to appreciate it Or maybe the take that they, they give us is something that, that I can jive with So fingers crossed It'll be interesting either way, I guess uh, Damien continues Where we agree wholeheartedly is on Marcus To's art He's getting better and better every month and is particularly suited to interpersonal relationships, which I also believe is Teeny Howard's biggest strength. And yes, absolutely. I would say Toad does a lot of the heavy lifting here in the scenes that I don't care about, and he really, really brings it for the scenes I do care about. Um, despite Otherworld not being my jam at all, he is a great fit for this book. Uh, nothing looks bad here. Everything looks beautiful. Um, whether it's Shogo Dragon flying through the skies or Rogan Psylocke just having a uh, a little chat, it all it all looks great. But uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on Excalibur number nine. Uh, next we have Al Sedano, and he just wrapped up the Dawn of X Wave One number ones with Fallen Angels number one. He says, "Sorry, it's been a while. Had some family stuff taking up my time, but now I'm back and raring to get into the next Dawn of X volume." But first, we have to finish off the first one. Fallen Angels number one. This was interesting and felt different from the other titles. More personal. More like a solo title for Psylocke, which I guess is her name now. I don't really know her. I stopped reading when she first showed up, and by the time I came back, she was already dead. So I have to ask if her complete lack of understanding of how to talk to people is new or an established part of her personality. Because that conversation between her and Sinister was painful. I was waiting for him to say, wink, wink. And uh, first, interesting is probably the kindest word I've ever seen attributed to fallen angels So that's something for sure Um, And yes, the dialogue here was pure, 100% unfiltered cringe (laughs) Not great Uh, I'm not sure how or when she came back from her legacy virus death I think she was part of like the sisterhood of, of evil mutants or something like that I don't remember where it happened And it's been a long time since I've read anything, so I can't say whether or not she's supposed to be this socially inept, or if they just amped it up for this you know, freshman creative writing take on the character. I I don't know. All I know is I didn't like it. Uh, Al wraps up with, uh, let me finish off month one with my ranking so far. He has a few ties here. Number one, the best number one of Dawn of X was Marauders, which is a very, very uh, popular pick. Uh, Number two is a tie between X-Men and New Mutants Number four is a tie between X-Force and Fallen Angels Which leaves number six as Excalibur Ouch, poor Excalibur (laughs) Excalibur I believe I had as my fifth uh, book of the week there Where uh, it just narrowly beat out Fallen Angels So... Al has uh, Fallen Angels just edging out Excalibur. So, very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. I am definitely interested in hearing any positive takes on Fallen Angels that we can get here, because I just want to understand it. (laughs) So, uh, if anybody out there has any uh, positive things to say about Fallen Angels, please reach out and let me know. We're going to wrap up with an email from Andrew Franklin regarding Hellions Number 1. He says... Well, I caved in and decided to start reading Hellions along with the pod. Havoc was always my favorite X-Man, and it's a shame that he died in the last issue of X-Factor Volume 1 and has never been seen again. Uh, To which I say, uh, yeah, this show isn't called Mutant X-Lapsed for a reason. (laughs) We don't, uh, we pretend, or we just say that never happened. Uh, (laughs) Andrew continues. Now, even though I stopped reading when Morrison left, this isn't my first time revisiting the X-Men. I bought all six issues of Astonishing X-Men a few years ago where Havoc was the lead, featuring two of my other favorite X-Men, Dazzler and Colossus. I have nothing good to say about those issues. And I've been collecting those issues myself. Uh, another volume of Astonishing uh, it seemed like such a weird play, especially at the time, if we're thinking about the same one here, when you know both of the ongoing X-book, X-Books were color-based. So you had you know X-Men Blue, X-Men Gold, and then... Astonishing X-Men It just made no sense to me I haven't read any of it yet So I really can't speak to its quality But I do remember Feeling like They were just Like why did they even bother Establishing the blue and gold If they're just going to do An astonishing book on top of it Felt very very weird Um, And uh, I I hope That we will eventually find out That it uh, served a purpose But I guess that's Neither here nor there Andrew continues I'm writing these thoughts after reading Hellions number 1, but before listening to the episode covering it. I wanted to get my own knee-jerk reaction down, good or bad, before reconsidering things. Let me say up top that I thought the issue was fine. I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. I do have issues with the premise, though. I'm aware Alex was turned evil for... reasons, and that he was turned not evil for... reasons. And the idea of lingering evil isn't bad, per se, but I don't like how it's handled here. It seems very abrupt like he was fine up until they needed to shoehorn him into a book with the bad guys, and then what do you know? I guess he's not all fixed after all. If it was explored a bit in an issue of X-Men or Giant Size Havoc special, it would have made a little bit more sense organically to me. And I think that was my main misgiving with the Hellions as well. Uh, I'm not sure why they'd shoehorn Alex in here without bothering to give him the benefit of the doubt. I I talked a bit about, you know, we have him stood before the Quiet Council which is all people, or which is mostly people, who know and love and have worked with Alex for years now. And it's just like they're putting him on trial with Scalp Hunter and and Nanny. (laughs) It just seems like, maybe, you know, maybe give this guy a little bit of the benefit here. So yeah, it does come out of nowhere, though maybe that lends credence to the theory that this is all being, like, orchestrated or manipulated for a greater reason. Maybe Havoc is... And Xavier Mole on the team to watch what Sinister's up to? I don't know. Andrew continues. My other problem with the premise is the fact that, after all the times we've seen or heard the Krakoan X-Men brutalize enemies in these Dawn of X books, I could be wrong, but I think characters have killed before. This time, it's too much? Alex has to pay the price? Give me a break. And aren't there incredibly powerful telepaths who could help Alex with his lingering evil? Wouldn't that be more sensible solution to either stasis or having him serve on the penal squad? I have a big problem with this. At least Scott stood up for him. That was my favorite moment, when Magneto says if Alex had killed someone, they'd have no choice but to exile him to the pit, and Cyclops tells the council that 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 had that happened, he would have no other choice either. That was great. And yeah, it's interesting, the you know, the kill no man law is conveniently forgotten whenever the situation seems to call for it. And um uh, I'm pretty sure I mentioned during the reading, it's like, if this is such a problem, just put havoc on X-Force, right? They kill people left and right. I mean, Jean Grey killed a bunch of people a couple issues back, so, yeah, put havoc on X-Force, right? Hell, I mean, just this very issue of Marauders that we just covered on this episode has Magneto telling the Cuckoo that, hey, don't leave any witnesses. So it's very, very convenient when the Quiet Council decides they want to go, you know, by the book with their laws. And uh, the self-righteous way they did it, Which, where it's like, I understand the concept of deniability, but like Magneto being like a guest that Alex may have almost killed somebody? It's like, come on, dude. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Give me a break here. And then Storm kicking Cyclops out of the meeting because he had an objection? Very, very weird, very, very cold, and very kind of up their own asses. Uh, Andrew continues, I re- I don't really enjoy books about villains or making villains edgy antiheroes, but to Hellion's credit, this really doesn't feel like one of those books. The idea of having the more antisocial and violent mutants on a team to learn to, to use their talents in a constructive way is a good idea for a team. It's still hard to accept that Sinister is as trusted as he seems to be, and I really don't like the way he's written. I like that they made a point to show that Cyclops also doesn't trust Sinister, and having Psylocke there to keep an eye on things is a good excuse to have her in this book. I'm not sure Scott chose her specifically. Maybe she's serving penance for fallen angels. The rest of the team is an interesting mix of characters, and I like the individual segments they got. Except for Wild Child, who is just boring to me. And I, I do love the idea of Psylocke being jammed into this book with the bad guys to pay for the fact that so many of us spent like 30 bucks on that awful Fallen Angels miniseries. I also do love, uh, if, I, if I can be serious here, that since she is included here, I feel like that greatly reduces the possibility that Fallen Angels will ever come back for a Season 2. So keep her here, keep her prominent, keep Fallen Angels out of the solicitations. Please and thank you. Uh, I've come to tolerate Sassy Sinister a bit. Um, as long as I'm able to mentally separate, like, the real Sinister that I grew up with with this weirdo version, I think I'll be okay. Um, sometimes they do go a step too far, like him telling Scott to, you know, clean his drawers. That was a little weird, but uh, some of the other stuff made me chuckle. And a wild child, hey, he came from Alpha Flight, so he can't really. He just can't help being boring You know, it's it's kind of a repository For a few cool But mostly a lot of boring characters So, Wildchild is Just a victim of circumstance uh, Andrew wraps up with So all in all, this was fine And though the nostalgia bait of revisiting Inferno Stuff has me roll my eyes a bit I'm curious to see what they actually do with this book And I'm excited to listen to the episode And hear what you had to say about it well, thank you so much for uh, for sharing your thoughts here. And by now, you, you might know that I, I really like this one. Though I can totally see why it might not work quite as well for everybody. Um, it might have just been that I went into it with such low expectations. You know, I mentioned during the discussion that I called it an Alvaro book because it's just a random mishmash assortment of characters that wouldn't it be cool if they were on a team together with really no step two? You know, it's like, step one, put together a wacky team. Step two, sell a book. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what they do, as long as they're wacky and, and and you know, just obscure. So I really went into it with low expectations. Um, I also thought that this was going to be the X-Men take on Suicide Squad, when, frankly, I feel like the comics industry probably doesn't need the Suicide Squad's take on the Suicide Squad anymore, because <laughs> it's just beyond done. Uh, so that really didn't fill me with excitement, but... uh with that being said, I thought this was really good uh, And I'm looking forward to more Which I think we'll be getting to uh, I think it's episode 81 Will be uh, Hellions number 2 So we don't have to wait too long uh, just, to, just a little while To see how this all plays out But I hope you uh, continue to uh, read along And share your thoughts uh, preemptively Before you listen to the show Because uh, I think that's a, that's a really cool way to do it So thank you so much for sharing And thanks to everybody for sharing if anybody else out there would like to share, you can do so easily. I am at Ace Comics on Twitter or Weird Comics History at Gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes at Chris's on Infinite also xlapsed. Chris's on You can find the Facebook group at 90s X Men and the full Chris and Reggie audio archives at Chris and That'll do it for today. We are officially in the double digits of the Dawn of X books, which didn't think we'd ever get here, but here we are Um, huge Thank you to everyone for, uh, you know, sharing Your time with me, and sharing your thoughts As well, I hope everyone had a Wonderful weekend, and Uh, until next time, as always, I will uh, talk to you again, real soon See ya